0: Mindfulness Mode 337.
1: We choose, consciously or unconsciously, to live our life in a particular moment in fear or love.
0: You're listening to Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and Mindfulness Life Coach, Bruce Langford. Welcome to the show. Welcome if you're new and if you're a returning listener, Mindful Tribe, so glad to have you with me as always. Today, I received an email from Janice. She says, I worked in the corporate world and now i'm at home with my three children all under six i learn about mindfulness from my little ones and i practice mindfulness with them every day getting ideas out of the show because i love to listen to every episode that you publish of mindfulness mode well, thanks for the email, Janice. I, I truly appreciate that. And listeners, you can always email me at bruce at Mode.com. I love it when I get ideas and thoughts and shares from you, Mindful Tribe. And you might know I send out mugs and t-shirts to random listeners when you reach out to me. Janice will be receiving a mug, a Mindfulness Mode mug to put your morning coffee or tea in. Janice's email reminded me that I need to share with you, Mindful Tribe, that I have a children's book that I wrote. I haven't mentioned much about it on the show lately, but it is about mindfulness, and it's called 21 Ways to Practice Mindfulness with Your Child Every Day for Seven Minutes. If you have children, you might wanna check out the suggestions I've put together in that book. It's a 37 page book with lots of great pictures and out of the box ideas. I encourage you to get the book right now. All you need to do is go to mindfulnessmode.com slash 21 ways. And that book is yours absolutely free. And by the way, please subscribe to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen to the show. And and I love how you share the show with your friends. And I know that you do because a lot of people mention it in your emails. But the more you share the show, the better it is. And don't forget that the show notes are at mindfulnessmode.com as well. Today, we're talking about how companies can be so much healthier if they practice a culture of mindfulness. A number of years ago, Bob Rosen founded his business called Healthy Companies, and he now has a new book called Conscious, The Power of Awareness in Business and Life. I think you will enjoy this episode. Sit back, relax, and take it all in today's episode of Mindfulness Mode. Hey mindful tribe, guess what? I've got a fantastic author with me today who is exactly on point with mindfulness and everything we've been talking about the show uh, on the show. I've got Bob Rosen with me today. Hey Bob, are you in mindfulness mode today? <laughs> Oh, I go in and out. <laughs> Dude, I think that's what we all do, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Bob, let me share a little bit about you with our listeners today. Bob Rosen is a trusted CEO advisor. He's an organizational psychologist and he's a best-selling author. He has long been on a mission to transform the world of business one leader at a time. Bob founded Healthy Companies International over 20 years ago with the singular goal of helping executives achieve their leadership potential. Bob and his colleagues started an in-depth study of leadership and since then, he's personally interviewed more than 500 CEOs in 45 countries. They're in organizations like Ford, Citigroup, Pepsi, Johnson & Johnson and so many more. He's become an advisor to many of these companies and coordinates the healthy CEO round table. Bob's most recent book is called Conscious, The Power of Awareness in Business and Life. So Bob, you are definitely making a huge difference in mindfulness and the world of business. Let's start here. What does mindfulness mean to you in your life?
1: Um, Mindfulness means to me, uh, moment by moment awareness, Uh, being present centered, uh, that helps you really understand your perceptions, your thoughts and your feelings.
0: Very good. And when did you realize that you wanted to start making a difference with leaders in business?
1: um, That was some time ago. I'm
0: assuming Uh, it was.
1: Yeah, maybe 30 years ago. I I was trained as a clinical psychologist, and um, I found myself playing chutes and ladders. Do you remember that game?
0: Yes, I do. With uh,
1: with a little five-year-old boy at Children's Hospital, And he started beating me, and I found myself competing with him. And I said, whoa, I'm in the wrong profession. So I went to a headhunter. They called executive search headhunters back then. And I took him out to lunch, and I told him my story because I, I didn't know whether I wanted to do that. And he said, why don't you do what you've learned but just stand up? And it was one of the great gifts that someone gave me, which was to take principles of human development and behavioral science into corporations. And that started my career. Um, And since then, I've had the opportunity to uh, interview uh, now about 500 CEOs face-to-face in about 50 countries. and and got a MacArthur Foundation grant to study this. And in the last 20 years, just been consulting to companies and CEOs.
0: And do you remember the first company you went into to consult at?
1: Yeah, I remember two stories. Uh, Yeah, the first was, um, I was at Herman Miller in Zeeland, Michigan. And this woman was in a cafeteria, and she was very carefully putting chairs in a row in the cafeteria. And I said to her, you seem so committed to putting these chairs so perfectly in line. And she said, well, I feel good about my job because the CEO treats me really well. And eventually that afternoon I met Max Dupree, who is the CEO of Herman Miller. And that was my first image of a Conscious leader uh, building a healthy company. A couple of weeks later, I was at a conference and um, I walked up to the CEO of a large major insurance company and I introduced myself. And he completely ignored me, and I felt like a felt like a fork on the table. And that was my first glimpse of the impact of an unconscious, unaware leader. And uh, those two images really sat with me for some time, and then the rest is history.
0: So if I'm a CEO and I come to you and I, and I say to you, hey, we're making great money in the company, things are rolling along and going well, but I just have a feeling that there's a, there's a problem within the workforce. Like we're losing people that I don't think we should be losing. They're, they don't seem to be quite as committed. I think we need an element of mindfulness. Where would you start and what would you
1: do? Well, first off, I would put that... Um, that interest into a bigger uh, business context and I would say, well, I understand that completely. Um, Most organizations are struggling to figure out how to survive and thrive in a disruptive accelerating world. Uh, The world today is almost changing faster than the ability to adapt. And that's creating problems for individuals, it's creating problems for organizations, and creating problems for our communities and society as a whole. So what we need to do is to help people adapt to change. Um, uh, The challenge is that many leaders are not prepared to live and thrive in uncertainty. And the more conscious people are, the more aware they are of themselves and their companies and other people, the faster they adapt and the higher performing they come. become. So conscious is looked at as a new capability in the organization. The more we can help leaders understand themselves, others, and their environment, uh, the happier they will be, the healthier they will be, and the better performing they will be.
0: So have you had this happen? Have you gone in and you said, yeah, we'll come in, we'll help you out. And then they've said, okay, hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This isn't where we want to go with this. This doesn't seem right. Have you ever met resistance like that once you got in?
1: Uh, Sometimes you meet anxiety and you meet uh, people's inability to look inside, their inability to think big or to get real with themselves um, but most people have a desire, I think, to tap into their innate wisdom. I'm a big believer. Uh, I'm a practicing Buddhist and, and a meditator. And I'm a big believer that lying deep inside everyone is an innate wisdom, an innate humanity, an innate intelligence. Um, but unfortunately, as we go through life, we create motes of fear around us. And... And people want to tap into that inner core, but they're scared. And so if we can help people um, become more conscious, more grounded as human beings, uh, they'll be happier people and better performing.
0: Well, you talked about certainty already and, you know, some people, I think a lot of people have this concept that, you know, if I could only have certainty in my life, that's what will make me content. That's what will make me happy. But it's really the opposite is true, isn't it? That if I can learn to embrace uncertainty, can you expand on that a bit more so that our listeners can understand what this is all about?
1: Well, Uh, Most people probably who understand mindfulness know that stability is an illusion and uncertainty is reality. And in an uncertain world, we are all by definition vulnerable. And that's an important set of statements um, to understand how do you survive and thrive in uncertainty. Um, I'd like to use a two by two uh, matrix that has personal power on one side low personal power or high personal power and acceptance or comfort with uncertainty on the other axis, low comfort and high comfort. And if you have high personal power that you believe that you can shape your environment, that you are confident that, that to navigate through change, but you also have a deep respect for and a comfort with uncertainty, that's the most evolved state of a human being. The problem is is that many of us are victims or we're fatalists or we try to control our environment and we don't understand that we have to balance our own personal power and ability to shape change with our comfort with uncertainty. So this is a very big, important insight that people have to get in this new working age.
0: Absolutely. I'm looking at the index of your book and you've uh, you've labeled chapter seven. Can you see the alligator in the trees? Can you tell us about that chapter?
1: Right. Um, Well, that chapter is in a uh, one of the sections called go deep to discover your inner self. And that's the first of four uh, four steps. Uh, the other ones are think big into a world of possibilities, uh, get real with your accelerators and hijackers. And then the last one is step up to your highest potential. So, in you know, get go deep, one of the things that's important is to recognize that we all have a reptilian brain deep inside of us. It's our most primitive brain, it is always with us. And it's the source of our most basic instincts, our fear. Um, our desire or need to survive in the face of change uh, or whatever. And in a fast-moving world, in a disruptive and accelerating world, people are oftentimes confronted with the part of their brain that is scared of change, that is very survival-oriented, that feels anxious. And we have to get much more in touch with that reptilian brain, understand the impact that it has on us, and then manage ourselves back to health. Um, One of the things that we're finding, Bruce, is that um, we are hardwired for negative emotions. We all knew that, anger, sadness, fear, um, guilt. But we're also hardwired for positive emotions, hope, and compassion, and generosity, and faith. And we feel both sides of the continuum, but when we feel our less constructive emotions, the healthiest people, the more conscious people course correct quickly. They move from their negative to their positive emotions quickly. So it doesn't mean that you don't feel fear or anxiety. It just means that you can course correct uh, and move on.
0: Yeah. And part of the trick is not only feeling it, but feeling it, identifying it and, and just being so totally aware of it. And how do you teach people to be that aware? of their emotions?
1: Well, we have uh, a half day and a whole day and a two day workshop on helping people become conscious leaders. Uh, And we take them through a process of understanding these four steps. Um, One of the difficulties is that in a world that is changing so quickly, there are four ways that people struggle. The first is that they're too shallow. Uh, they don't look deep enough inside themselves. They don't understand their strengths and vulnerabilities and their values and their fears. Uh, the second thing is that uh, they're too narrow in their thinking. They operate in kind of like a steel bunker and they have biases, sometimes unconscious, that they don't know about. Uh, their thinking is narrow and they can't see possibilities into the future. Um, the third one is that they're, they're too small, too safe. Um, they're fearful of change, and they don't want to take risks. And then the last one, they're too small. They're uncomfortable with their own personal power, and they don't take risks. And organizations need people to go deeper, to think bigger, to get real, and to step up. Um, and uh, so there's a business case for this, and there's also a personal case for, for conscious.
0: Yeah. And some would say there's even a higher level of fear in the world than ever right now. I mean, there's there's always political challenges and political unrest, but there's a lot of fear right now. How can you help people move past that fear then that just is inherent?
1: Well, the first thing you have to do is you have to to embrace the change. You have to see reality for what it is. And a lot of people have trouble doing that. Um, they're, they're fearful of opening their eyes. They're afraid of m- what might come about. Um, I love the expression that um, change happens to people and change happens for people. And the first one tends to be dysfunctional. You, you feel like you've lost total control and you can't sort of succeed in the midst of change. The second one suggests that change is happening all the time. And although we may not see it at one moment, It is actually there for a purpose. It's the purpose to help to elevate you, to tap into your full potential. And so embracing change becomes very, very important. Uh, The second part is to experience the change. Um, A lot of people run away from those uncomfortable feelings that change brings. Um, So getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, uh, getting comfortable with just enough anxiety um, is really the source of being resilient in the face of change. Um, And then lastly, uh, and the third and fourth things is one is that we have to uh, step up to the change and we have to allow ourselves to experience all of that aspect of change. So um, it's really changing our relationship to change that is so important.
0: Well, you do these workshops with leaders half a day, full day, two days. What kind of follow up do you offer to that or do you offer follow up?
1: Well, I think it's important um, to provide ongoing coaching to people around leadership challenges because our definition of conscious is awareness in action. Uh, So we're very interested in how you take, I mean, mindfulness is an important practice. I practice mindfulness uh, in my meditation. I meditate uh 20 minutes a day not every day but i try to do it and it keeps me focused present centered as much as possible but business work success requires that we are aware all the time we're aware of ourselves other people and the surroundings and so conscious to me is awareness and action so we have to help people on an ongoing basis we have tools that we offer people and we have boosters to help them remember some of the principles that we've taught um, and it's all part of a um, a whole approach uh, to teaching people how to uh, thrive in this new uh, crazy world uh, to be grounded and conscious
0: can you share with us one of the tools that you use to help leaders in this way
1: uh, sure. Um, uh, first of all, I wrote a book some years ago called Just Enough Anxiety. And it was my book. That was my first dabble into this whole area of change. And it, 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 I, I was I was discovering that we have pathologized the concept of discomfort and anxiety. Now for some people they have a dysfunction a pathological condition and they need medication or therapy. But I'm talking about the, the 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 majority of us. And I separated it between too little anxiety which was the face of complacency and too much anxiety which is the face of fear and chaos. And just enough anxiety is just the right amount of energy. So how do you help people? A tool would be how do you help people discover what level of anxiety they have in the face of change? And if they have too little, how can they turn up the heat on themselves and other people? And if they have too much, how can they turn it down? Because anxiety is contagious. Our mirror neurons are communicating uh, with um, people around you. And so if you're anxious, if you have too little or too much anxiety, that gets communicated to other people.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, just walking into a room, you can feel that energy, can't you? Whether it's the room's filled with anxiety, or it's filled with a sense of freedom and relaxation. Yeah, absolutely. So As you walk into rooms, when you speak and and do, uh, you know, talks, how do you feel just before that's beginning to take place? And how do you deal with your own feelings?
1: That's a great question. Um, If I'm not feeling just enough anxiety, I'm worried uh, because they're not going to get the best speech uh, from me. Uh, uh, So I don't want to be complacent, um, but I don't want the anxiety to overwhelm me. Uh, And I've learned to get comfortable being uncomfortable right before a speech. Um, But you raise a a really important question, and that is that uh, I became interested in this whole area of uncertainty. Um, About 12 years ago, um, I was diagnosed with atrial fibrillation, and I was rushed to the hospital. Uh, An early diagnosis, actually my first diagnosis with that was probably age 40. And, um, and about 10 years later, and I had a bowel obstruction. I was at the gym and my bowel styles didn't work. And I went to the hospital a couple times with bowel obstructions and eventually had surgery. And then a year later, I was sitting on the beach in the Canary Islands and my back herniated and I had to come back and get surgery. So I was confronted, I was a healthy guy, I went out, I worked out, um, I was in shape, but suddenly I was dealing head on with uncertainty. And that's how I got very interested in Eastern philosophy. And I started reading lots and lots of books about Buddhist philosophy and practice. And I changed my relationship to uncertainty and to change and to anxiety and to fear. And uh, and I started opening my eyes to what other people need to do to actually survive in all this disruption and acceleration. So that's how I sort of discovered this myself.
0: And how long did it take before you became a, a true Buddhist? You started studying and you worked through this. And what was your pathway in that area?
1: I don't think I ever became a true Buddhist. I mean... I mean, my meditation was my Buddhist practice and it affected obviously my relationships and my desire to develop an open mind and an open heart in my relationships with people. Um, But I started meditating and 20 minutes a day. and, uh, And the first obstacle they had to overcome is that the goal was not to create peaceful mind. The goal was to experience myself fully and sometimes that was peaceful and other times it was horrible <laughs>
0: yeah. because,
1: I, because all important stuff was funneling up to the surface. And my job was to really understand it and, and to understand the impact it had on me and other people. And just like most meditators discover that it's not all the Holy Grail. Um, but ultimately, over time, the meditative practice helps you to really become deeply aware of yourself. And the moment.
0: Right. And you've talked about 20 minutes a day is your meditation. Is that silent? Is that guided? What's that like?
1: It's a sitting meditation. Um, sometimes I will do a body reflection, start at my the top of my head and move down to my toes. And the deeper I get into that body reflection, uh, uh, the more relaxed I get. Uh, Sometimes I will put an issue that I'm dealing with. I may be feeling upset about something, uh, angry about something. I'll put that front and center and then drill down about what is causing me to feel that way. I often find that um, I get to uh, my attachment to something, either the attachment to the past or the future, the attachment to being in control or being perfect or my attachment to success um and uh and and that oftentimes helps me peel back the real cause of my di- discomfort so it's a city med- meditation
0: right uh bob i'm thinking about all of those interviews you did you know over 500 interviews with ceos what is the most surprising pattern that started to take place that you noticed as you interviewed these experts
1: well, I think that the most effective CEOs in the world, um, and and I'm talking about CEOs like the heads of Boeing and Coca-Cola and Target and Ford and Samsung and um, and uh, the vendor companies all around the world, um, is that they're self-aware and committed to their own development. And when you get a CEO like Mark Bertolini at Aetna who is deeply Aware of himself. Um, he had a life health crisis early in his life. Uh, I never interviewed him, but I've been reading about him. And, uh, and he really is, seems very conscious. So being self-aware and committed to your own development enables you to see your business as having four agendas. Uh, the, the human agenda, which is the purpose and the values and the leadership and the culture, The operations agenda, which is how do you make your product, whether it's a car or a pharmaceutical drug or artificial intelligence. Um, Then there's the marketplace agenda, which is um, how do you bring that to market? Are your products relevant? Do people want to buy it? What's your reputation? And then the last agenda is the finance agenda, which is the scorecard. And for those leaders who were self-aware and committed to their development, they understood the power of their human agenda. And it was their human agenda that drove what in business we call your value chain. And the finance agenda is the scorecard. So those leaders are able to prioritize, invest in, and champion the human agenda of their business. And that is the driver of their success.
0: Bob, I'm interested in the feedback of your most recent book, Conscious. Have you started to receive some feedback? I know that the book is officially being released in July, July 18th. Here's what the there it is. Looks
1: like there it is. Conscious. <laughs> I just got my first uh, my first copy yesterday.
0: Oh, awesome!
1: Yeah, yeah, it's very exciting. Um, so the reactions? Yes. I think people are ready for this. Um, if you look at society now. Uh, there's more partisanship, more cynicism, more mistrust, uh, more anger. Uh, uh, that we're throwing arrows at each other, and if we were more conscious, more aware of ourselves, uh, we could we could um, do a much better job inside companies. There's so much technological disruption, so much change and transformation. And and so leaders are figure, try asking themselves, how can I move 20,000, 50,000, 100,000 people so that they're more aware of what's going on? Uh, we just conducted a Harris poll, um, and uh, we'll release the data on July 18th. Um, and what we found is that over 50 percent of Americans in our survey found that their leaders were not adapting very well to change. And secondly, is over 50% of people, 52% of people, said their leaders were not conscious. And we define conscious for them, aware of yourself, others, and your surroundings. And and so that's a problem right now. It's a problem in society. And and if we could get our leaders at all levels uh, to become more conscious, uh, we would build better organizations and have a healthier society.
0: Well, you do consulting all around the world. Do you notice any trends that vary from the different countries and the different areas of the world in business and mindfulness?
1: That's a good question. Um, I used to see more mindfulness thinking in Eastern uh, in Asia. And it still exists, but my sense is there is a global culture that is developing in the world. It's a global business culture that is results oriented, but it's increasingly recognizing that you can't create results without people. And people have to be healthy and grounded and conscious in order to step up and innovate, to perform better than the competition, Uh, to be engaged in the organization, to work in teams and be collaborative. So I think there's a recognition. I think a lot of leaders are struggling right now to figure out how do I get my workforce to step up and be change ready to be able to navigate through all this change and transformation. And it's my belief that building these grounded and conscious capabilities will enable leaders to move their organizations forward.
0: And so a good start for leaders could be to get your book and read it. Am I right?
1: Yeah. I mean, the book is written, the book, Bruce, the book was written to um, everybody. Um, There's stories from all walks of life, from Judy Shepard, who uh, was Matthew Shepard's mother, um, who took on the mantle of uh, anti discrimination and gay and lesbian rights? There's stories of Vince Roche, who runs one of the largest technology companies. Um, there's a story of Michael Bloomberg in New York. So there's are stories from all walks of life, but the principles of go deep, think big, get real, and step up are human principles. They're human lessons for anyone.
0: And I always ask a question about bullying. Can you share a story? Maybe it's from your book or maybe it's from your own life about bullying where mindfulness would have made a difference.
1: Well, um, I'll give you a personal example and then a business example,
0: please.
1: A personal example is uh, I'm a gay man and I, I've been with my husband now for 35 years. Um, but I've been very sensitive to watch how society um, has changed on its consciousness about gay and lesbian people, um, and uh, I also look at the Me Too movement and women, and 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 there were so many men who were abusing women, um, and they weren't conscious of the fact that they were doing it, um, and the norms were such that they could get away with it, um, and women for their part, may or may not have been conscious of being abused, or they didn't want to talk about it. And they they developed their own consciousness to speak out and to be comfortable with their own personal power in the world. So those are examples where I think bullying has affected my life. In a real life example, take ABC Studios and Roseanne Barr. It's yes. a great example. People knew Roseanne's track record. Yes. They knew her prejudices. But they wanted to hit series, and they hired her, and one wonders whether if they were a little more conscious and aware of the potential impact, the inevitable impact of Roseanne discovering that she can speak out and, and say her mind in the most presidential way, you know, maybe they wouldn't have made that investment.
0: Well, it's it's interesting that you talk about the way the world views uh, gay and lesbian people, because I know that when I was younger and I was in school, you know, there was a certain way that students reacted. And my son is 16. He's in high school now. And, you know, it's completely different. It's completely different. It's but there's still that stigma there. There's still there's still prejudice And as we continue to move through this, what's the best way for us to, I guess, accept, but at the same time, make a difference?
1: I have great hope uh, in the ability of people, if they put their mind to it, to become more conscious, um, to get in touch with their biases. Uh, I also have great hope for the younger generation. Uh, I mean, the younger generation is driving this. Uh, Just on the the issue of gay and lesbian issues, they don't care. They have friends right from the start who are gay and lesbian. I mean, kids are coming out at ages 14 and 12 and 15. Um, So I have great hope in young people. They understand that we have to love each other. See, ultimately, I think it comes down to this. Uh, We are, we choose Consciously or unconsciously to live our life in a particular moment in fear or love. And we have that opportunity to choose. When we go down the path of fear, there is disruption, there is disharmony, uh, there is disease. And when we go down the path of love, there is collaboration, there is connection, there is mutual respect, and there is the ability to navigate through a lot of change. And, and so I think that we need to allow ourselves to tap into that very human and natural desire for love uh, rather than fear.
0: I think that's very well put and I appreciate your comments on this. As we move forward, Bob, in the interview, I wanna ask you five quick answer questions. So <laughs> just 30 second answers are fine. The first one is this, who is one person who in, influenced the mindfulness in your life?
1: Wow. I would say my partner, my husband, Jay. Uh, he he is a very fair, honest uh, person. He was in politics for 20 years. He just stepped down uh, being the chair of the Arlington County Board. And uh, he's taught me a lot about the importance of being conscious.
0: How has mindfulness affected your emotions? We talked about this a bit already, but can you sum it up?
1: Sure. Um, I think that... um, uh, we Everybody feels their emotions in a band, and some people have a narrow band of emotions, and some people have a medium band, and some people have a very wide band. Like a manic depressive would have a very wide band, and some people who are stoic have a narrow band. I'm in the middle. And so I feel life intensely, um, both the ups and the downs. And so my mindfulness has enabled me to manage that so that my band isn't too wide. Um, uh, and, and, and hijacked me in the process.
0: How is breathing a part of your
1: mindfulness? Oh, I have to remind myself all the time. Uh, uh, I sort of laugh at myself when, I, when I'm in the shower or I'm walking, and I notice that I'm not even breathing. I'm like holding my breath. And, it, and so deep breathing is such a wonderful skill to develop in terms of getting more peaceful and mindful.
0: Your book, Conscious, The Power of Awareness in Business and Life, is awesome. And I will put this in our show notes. But do you have any other books that you would recommend that is related to mindfulness?
1: Well, I always like the book um, Mind is an Ally. Um, that's a lovely book to, for beginner meditators. Um, and then I'm a big fan of Pema. Um, it's, it's just uh, the Buddhist nun from Halifax. She's just a fantastic yes writer and has taught me a lot about the importance of getting comfortable with uncertainty.
0: Excellent. Excellent. And if you could share an app, which helps with mindfulness. I don't Do
1: you know have one? one. I don't use them. Yeah. Uh, um, my app is in my roaming mind.
0: well it's certainly been awesome to talk with you how can mindful tribe connect with you learn more about what you do bob
1: oh thanks for the question uh our website is www.healthycompanies one word.com i have my own website BobRosen.com. um but um to make a difference um you know buy my book uh, I'm really excited about it it's the best one I've written I think and uh, and certainly the most personal and uh, and our logo is to change the world one leader at a time so um, um, enjoy if you decide to do that
0: and absolutely, absolutely. Like I said, we'll put this in our, our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. And uh, just type in uh, Bob's last name, R-O-S-E-N, Rosen, and the episode show notes will come right up. But once again, check out healthycompanies.com. Check out bobrosen.com r-o-s-e-n and bob it's been terrific i'm honored to have you be part of our show today thanks so much for being a guest on on mindfulness mode
1: oh my pleasure bruce thank you
0: yeah all the best to you bob Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com and type the guest name or episode number into the search bar. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by subscribing to Mindfulness Mode wherever you listen. Maybe it's iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play wherever hit subscribe and share subscribing and sharing helps keep mindfulness mode on the air subscribe and share 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 till next time mindful tribe use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm focus and
1: happiness stay in the mode